chapter 25. We're going to read verse 14 and 15, but we're going to end up at verse 46, hopefully by the time we're done. But why don't you start there? Last week, last Sunday night, we took our communion, and that was incredible, uh, just a time. And I'm so thankful for this church and all uh, that's a part of it. And last Sunday night, we, we, we launched our theme for this year, Invest, in 2018, I believe. Every year I, I ask the Lord, I say, Lord, would you just direct us? We've had years in which our theme was grow. We've had, uh, last year, our theme was beyond. And this year, or, or rather at the end of last year, in all of my prayers, I kept hearing that word, Invest. And we begin to take it farther. It's not just a financial standpoint, although I believe uh, very strongly that's a great part of it. But as you can see under that title, there's three words, time, talent, and treasure. While those are not uh, new to me, it's not something I've come up with. You've probably heard that a lot. But I believe it's important that you and I understand that living for God requires an investment, an investment of our time, an investment of our talent, and an investment of our treasure. Last week, we in introduced you to investing your time. If you missed it, I encourage you to go. You can see it on the website, or you can uh, talk to our media team. They can even get you a, a, a CD of it if you want so. But tonight, I want to talk to you about investing your talents in the kingdom of God. And if I had a tagline, which I do, I would ask you this simple question. This is, this is the question I want you to answer right now. I want you to ask you, yourself this. Am I profitable? In the kingdom of God, am I profitable? Matthew chapter 25 says this, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who calleth his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Unto one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To every man, according to his several ability, and straightway he took his journey. And you can be seated. Your worship has led us to a place where the word of God can go forth, but I believe it's good to know what a number means before you just toss it around. And the word talent in, in the, the, the King James translation is a little bit different than probably the way you use the word talents. For example, let me ask you a question. Let me throw some numbers around and let's talk about them. Does anybody know how many feet is in a mile? 5,280. How many of you got that right? Awesome. Do you know why there is 500 or 5,280 feet in a mile? Well, first off, the term mile comes from the Roman or rather the Latin word milli, meaning a thousand. Milliliters, millimeters, all of that. To the Romans, it was the distance that a soldier could cover in about a thousand paces, which for the average Roman soldier came to be about 5,000 feet. Now, those of you who have grown up in the United States, you know we are on the standard version of measurements, while most of the rest of the world is on a, uh, a different standard, a metric standard. And I like metric better. It makes sense. It fits perfectly. It's, it's even. And so in the metric sense, a mile would have been a hundred paces or about 5,000 feet. But along came the British farmers and they measured their fields in furlongs, which were 660 feet. 
and they didn't want to change. And so it was that when the mile was introduced to England, it was changed to 5,280 feet or exactly eight furlongs. Now you know, you're smarter for that. Some of you are going to use that tomorrow around your, your job. Uh, those of you who are not interested in miles because you have no desire of walking a mile, much less running a mile, let me ask you this. Does anybody know the distance between a major league pitcher's mound and home plate in baseball? What is it? 60 feet, 6 inches. Do you know why? It is that in 189, or up to 1893, the standard measurement for the pitching distance was 50 feet. However, in 1893, some baseball executives decided they needed to to lengthen that, and so they, uh, I guess, changed the rules, and they said it's going to be 60 feet. However, the surveyor they hired misread their uh, uh, instructions, and where it said 60 feet 0 inches, he thought it said 60 feet 6 inches, and so since 1893, those extra 6 inches have been in that ever since. Andy Rooney of the 60 Minutes fame, commented on the sometimes illogical nature of measurements that we use. He says, clothing sizes are worst of all. Why is it that you wear an eight and a half shoe but a size 11 sock? Don't make any sense. Why do I wear a seven and a quarter inch cowboy hat but my shirt size is 17 to 17 and a half? It would seem that I could put the shirt over my hat with the collar unbuttoned. But it's not that say that case. Now, I'm going to get myself maybe in trouble for this, but why is it that the average suit size for a man is around 40 and the average dress size for a woman is around a 12? I can't believe we're that much bigger. Sometimes you got to know where the... Some of you have no idea. Y'all just look at me like I'm crazy. Y'all don't even care. All you know is small, medium, and large. But the story of the talents... Different. In order to understand that story, you have to first understand it in the context wherewith it is written and be careful that you don't try to force it to fit a different understanding at the outset. A talent in this parable, a talent represented 6,000 denarii. A denarii was a monetary wage that was equal to a day's wage. I'm not asking you to tell me what it is, but I want you for just a moment to think about how much you make a day. And that would be a denarii. Take what you make in one day, times it by 6,000, and that would be what a talent was in Jesus' time. A talent, if you will, would have been worth somewhere, and I'm accounting for inflation and a whole bunch of other stuff, but in some of the research that I got, a talent would have been within the vicinity of $800,000 in today's money. A talent was no small sum. In the parable, the master gave the man five talents, or if you will, and some of these are going to be loosely thrown together, four million dollars. The second man received two talents, or or one million six hundred thousand dollars, while the third man received one talent, or around eight hundred thousand dollars, just so that you can see it in terms of today. If you would join with me in the exposition of this parable, you would notice very quickly that there was about three things that you need to see in the parable. Number one, there was the giving of the talents. 
the master of the house came to his servants. He was going to be leaving and he called his servants into his study and he delivered unto him, the King James Version says, his goods. Look at your neighbor and says, it belonged to the master. Look at the other person on the other side and said, it was his goods. The master gave of his own riches. The master gave of his own wealth. He gave to one servant five talents, to another two talents, to another one a one talent. He gave every man according to his abilities and to the knowledge that he had of them and straightway he took his journey. The first thing you need to understand if we're going to talk about talents is that they don't belong to you, they come from the master. The second thing is, is the talents were there to be profitable. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 16, And when he that received the five talents went, he traded with the same, and somehow, maybe through investment or through trading, I don't know, but he took his five talents, he gained another five talents, he had ten. It was profitable. Likewise, he that received two, he gained another two. Now he had four. It was profitable. But he that received one, digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money that wasn't profitable. This comes to play a little bit later. The third thing you need to understand as we read this parable is not only does it come from the Lord, the master, not only does he expect a, 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 a profitableness, but there will be a time in which the master returns. He, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoned with them. And he that had received five talents came and brought the other five talents and said, Lord, you deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained besides that five talents more. The Lord said unto him, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two talents beside them. And his Lord said unto them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Would you please note with me that both of them, although they had different uh, amounts of those talents that were given to them, and although they had gained different amounts, the reward was the same. Then he that received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathered where you have not strawed, and I was afraid and went and hid my talent in the earth. And lo, you, here I brought it out, and lo, there thou hast that that is thine. He reached in his pocket, pulled out a dirty box or a handkerchief, and he gave back exactly what he had received. And the Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I weep where I sowed not, reaped where I sowed not, and gathered where I had not strawed. You had ought therefore to have at least put my money to the exchangers, and at my coming I would have received my own money with usury, or a word we know now, interest. So therefore... Take the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall it be taken away, even to him that hath. And cast you unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now pay attention. 
The one that had five talents gained another five, and he had ten. The man with two doubled it, got four. But the man with the one talent hid it in a field and delivered to his master the one talent. Listen to me. If you don't get anything else, listen to this. The master didn't lose any money. You with me? Sometimes we, 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 it's easy for us to understand someone that shortchanges God. It's easy for us to look at somebody that's a degenerate out on the street and say what could they have done with their life but they've squandered it and look what the Lord has lost. Let me tell you, you will not be judged by those who have lost. You will be, back, be judged by those who gained. Here's where I'm getting at. The master didn't lose any, he didn't lose one dime of his money but he got mad. And he stripped that talent and also stripped the man of his life, if you will. He was sentenced to live outside the kingdom. He was banished. A pastor by the name of, Je of, of Jeff Strite, and I love to read his writings, he said this, consider how you'd feel, say about 10 years ago, you had inherited $600,000. You gave it to an investment company so that they would buy you stock in the market when the Dow was around 3000 Last Friday, and again, this is a little out of date when I read it, but he said last Friday, the Dow, you learned, closed at 10700 which should have more than tripled your investment. And instead of having $600,000, you'd have had $2,140,000. And so you get all excited, and you go to Edward Jones uh, Investments, and you say, I'm ready to cash out. And they look at you, and surprise, surprise, they never invested that money. And they bring out a little cigar box and you give it to him how do you think you would feel you invested your money in a company and they didn't do anything with it could I tell you today this is the reason the master threw the unfaithful servant into outer darkness it's because he had invested something in that person and got nothing out of it the servant was not profitable there's a few lessons that you and I can learn from this parable. First off, that talent was something very valuable. It was more than just a day's wage. In fact, again, just kind of trying to give you round numbers, it represented what possibly would have been 20 years wages for the average person. The master saw fit to give each one of his servants something of value. Because to be honest, in those lives of those servants, whether you got five talents, four talents, or one talent, it represented an astronomical investment into them, much more than they would ever see on their own. They were told to keep their talents. I don't know if they were to if they reinvested them. I don't know if they bought something and, and, and flipped it. I don't know how they did it, but they were there. But watch this. The Bible very clearly states that the one guy's talent that he didn't invest was taken from him and given to one that was profitable. I begin to look at that and I begin to realize that even though they were using the master's money, it seems to indicate at the end of that that they got to keep their investment. One preacher, a man by the name of Jason Cole, he broke it down this way. This was the punishment that the unprofitable servant got. He lost his talent. He lost his gift. 
Not only did he give more, not only did he make more, but he lost even what was given to him in the first place. He lost his gift. The second thing he lost, and it hurts me more than anything, is he lost the trust of his master. And the third thing he lost is he lost his master's presence. Would you please hear me today? And would you let me take it outside the realm of a financial understanding? And would you let me just simply say that if you don't properly value the gifts that God has given you, if you don't have confidence in your own self, can I tell you, regardless of what you think about you, God looked at you and saw so much that he was willing to invest in you something that was far more valuable than what you could ever do on your own. Would you please value the gift that God has given you? Would you have confidence in your own self that if God is going to give you a gift he knows you can handle it but also could it be that that servant had a wrong view of the master and thought that if I don't lose any money if I don't lose any gifts if I just stay the same it'll be okay or could it be that he was just plain lazy I tell you today that Jesus desires a profitable church. So many times, and I'm going to do it rapid fire, so many times in Jesus' own teaching, he spoke about the topic of profitableness. In Matthew chapter 21, and I realize those of you who are theologians and those of you who know how to exegete scripture, I realize that this parable is ultimately about the Jews' rejection of God's gift and their rejection of Jesus Christ. But could I look at, would you just look at the topic of being profitable? Here another parable Jesus said. There was a certain householder that planted a vineyard and he hedged it about and he dug a wine press in it and he built a tower and he let out husbandmen and meaning workers, and they went to a far, and then he went to a far country. And when the time of fruit came near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that he might receive the fruits thereof. If Jesus is going to go to all the trouble to build a church, I can tell you right now, he desires that church to be profitable. And when God comes, he's looking for somebody that's done something with what God has given them. Mark chapter 13 says, the son of man can be illustrated. This is the New Living Translation. The son of man can be illustrated by a story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work that they should do. And he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. Verse 35, and he says, you too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return. It might be in the evening, it might be at midnight, it might be before dawn, or it might be at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping, for when he arrives without warning, I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. Those of you that are married, men, have you ever had your wife go on an extended leave from home and you and the kids had a grand old time and you desperately needed to know when she was getting back in the car and headed home so that you could clean the house so it would look good for her return? 
Have any of you ever, men, have any of you men ever misjudged the return of your wife? And she walks into a pile of dishes on the, the sink. And she walks into the children's toys strewn everywhere. And you begin to wonder, why didn't you tell me you were on your way? It would have saved me a lot of problem. I don't speak from personal experience. The Lord is coming soon. What will he find when he sees you? What will he find? Martha Berry was a lady with a vision to help children. She started a school for poor children. She had no books, no building, no money, but she had a dream. As the story goes, she went to Henry Ford to ask for a donation. Mr. Ford reached into his pocket and he pulled out a solitary dime and he gave it to Martha Berry. Most people would have been insulted. Most people would have looked at that and looked at a millionaire such as Henry Ford and been insulted about that and probably said, man, all you can give is a dime. But from the story it goes, Martha took that dime and she bought a packet of seeds. She planted a garden. She raised a crop. She sold the crop, and with that crop, she bought more seeds and invested. And after three or four harvests, she had enough money to purchase an old building for the children. At some point, Martha Berry reached or went back to Henry Ford, and he said, Look what your dime has done. And Henry Ford invested a million dollars into Berry's school. Now, I have not personally been able to, to, to confirm that entire story. Maybe it's just an urban legend. I don't know. But what I have found is that Henry Ford, if, if you go to Barry School right now, I will tell you, you'll find a building that says Ford Building. Somewhere, regardless of the reason why, somehow that, young, that lady impressed upon Mr. Ford with her dream to be profitable for the children. She was faithful in the small things and because of that he invested many in her. So I ask you a serious question. This is not a sermon that, that at the end of, of tonight, I, I, I know, I've, I've been here long enough. This is not a sermon that you're going to come and shout around the, the altar and you're going to get all a bunch of goosebumps and you're going to walk out going, hey, this is awesome. It's a sermon in which the application starts when you walk out of those doors. So I'm asking you this question right now. Does God profit by your life? meant to be uncomfortable. It's meant to be an, uh, an affront to you. It's meant to shake you up a little bit. Let me ask you again, does God profit by your life? If you recall, the man that had one talent, the master did not profit by giving him the gift. The master profited when the gift was used and when the gift was multiplied. I'm sorry if I'm busting anybody's bubble, but the closer we get to the coming of the Lord and the older I get and hopefully the more mature I get, I begin to realize that God doesn't profit one bit by giving you the Holy Ghost, but he profits when you use the Holy Ghost that God has invested in you for his kingdom. It's not enough to get the gift. The real question is, what are you doing with it? Acts chapter 1, let me read these very, very quickly. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the world. 
It's because God said, I'm going to give you a gift, but I need you to use the gift I give you. Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read the last parts of each of the Gospels. And I want you to see what it is that he said. And in, in, in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. So go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whether I've com- whatsoever I have commanded you. And I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. What are you going to do with the gift? Mark chapter 16, and Jesus said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that preach. These signs shall follow them that have a a, a pastor's card or a minister's card or they've got an ordination. No, the Bible says these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. In my name they shall speak with new tongues. In my name they shall take up serpents. In my name if they drink any deadly thing it shall not hurt them. In my name they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. What are you doing with the gift? Luke chapter 24, it is written and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day that repentance and remission of sins would be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you and tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. What are you going to do with the gift? In the book of John you have an incredible story that takes place in John chapter 21. John chapter 21, the disciples are, are, are out there and they're playing and, and they're, they're, they're fishing and they're kind of just, what are we going to do? How, how are we going to live our life? The Lord has gone. Simon's there. Thomas is there. Nathaniel and the sons of Zebedee and a couple other disciples. And they're fishing. All night they fish, caught nothing. Morning comes and Jesus stands on the shore. They don't recognize him at first. And he says, what you been doing? Well, we've been fishing and we haven't caught a thing. Jesus said, cast your net on the right side of the ship and you'll find they did and they couldn't even hardly bring their nets in because of the draught of fishes that they gathered caused other ships to come and they drug it in. Jesus had a fire going and they brought some of those fish and they had a picnic. Bible says there was 153 fish. It must have been a good sized fish because the Bible says they'd never even seen that. And they're sitting there at that picnic on that table. This is, the, this is how John kind of ends his, his book. They're sitting there around that picnic and they're enjoying the presence of God and they're being fed. The ultimate preacher to cook them a dinner just in case you're wondering if Jesus cooks you a dinner it's going to be the best dinner you ever had they were being fed they were comfortable they were satisfied when they got done you can imagine them leaning back against the rock and the sand of that seashore loosening their belts they were satisfied Jesus locks eyes with Peter and he says Peter do you love me more than anybody else Jesus said oh I mean, Peter said, oh, Jesus, you know I love you. 
Absolutely I love you. Jesus didn't say, worship me. Jesus didn't say, wash my feet. Jesus didn't say, build me a tabernacle or a temple. He said, if you love me, feed my lambs. That old rough fisherman had to have had a quizzical look on his face. It didn't make a lick of sense to him. He kind of gives him that open mouth stare. Jesus looks at Peter a second time. Do you really love me? Lord, you know I love thee. Feed my sheep. Third time, Jesus locks eyes with Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Jesus, he's trying to get something through that thick cranium of Peter. Peter, he's, he's mad, he's upset. Jesus, you know I love you. He says, feed my sheep. So it was that begin to understand that Jesus had invested three and a half years into these disciples. But Jesus was about to go back to heaven. And he was asking Peter, Peter, your love is not going to be shown to me through worship. It's not going to be shown to me through what you do to be satisfied in your own life. But how can you take what I've invested in you and use it for the kingdom of God. The wisdom writer in Ecclesiastes said in verse chapter 9, verse 10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. Whatever thy hand findeth to do. It refers to works that are possible and maybe you've done this you've probably had moments where you've you've schemed and you've dreamed and you've come up with all these different ideas and all these different things that you could do I could do this I could do that it's kind of like asking a kid what they want to be when they grow up and they'll tell you 18 answers ranging from elephant breeders to astronauts to Lego designers and race car drivers and it's all the things they could do but he said, God is not answer, or is not, not impressed by what you could do. He's impressed by what you do. I, I know maybe it's not quite as impressive as this morning when we talk about the Holy Ghost fall and all of that, but you got to get to the point where you practically carry out what your hands find to do. Your past is gone. You'll never be able to walk back in your past. Your future is unknown to you and I, and we're not guaranteed tomorrow. I, I can't say I'll preach a message tomorrow. I, I can't say I'll do a work tomorrow because tomorrow may never come. You've got to ask this question, what am I doing now? This is why you can't say, when I grow up, I'll let God use me. You can't say when I'm a little more mature and when I've got a little more life experiences, I'll, I'll, I'll give to God. You can't even, if you will, wait until your experience and walk with God has matured. There's got to be fruits now. A child can be used 
A child can take the talents that God has put in their life and they can use it. That's why we've got Bible quizzers. That's why you can see in our Sunday school classes and our children's churches, children that are learning to invest what God has given them back. Our young people, you don't have to wait until you graduate from high school. You don't have to wait until you're married. You don't have to wait until you've got a career. What are you doing for God now? I don't have time to go in it, but I encourage you to finish Matthew chapter 25. You're going to find that it's where he begins to talk about, I, I, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me and they were confused and they said, how is that? And Jesus goes, well, it's because you invested in others that were in those predicaments and because you invested in them in my name, you did it unto me. We've got to get past our selfish ambitions, our selfish motives. We've got to ask this question. It's kind of in the words of John F. Kennedy. Ask not what your church can do for you, but ask what can you do for his church. I'm a part of a Facebook group of, of ministers and be honest, half the time they're they're half crazy and blowing off steam. But every once in a while, somebody puts something in there that just grabs a hold of me. And a couple days ago, this was written. It's by Tyler Whaley. He's the, I think the executive pastor or something of that. Of there at at First Church in Houston, where Brother Pearland, Texas, where Brother Gurley, Ken Gurley, pastors. But but somebody asked the question. And this was Tyler's response. He said, for me, the core idea is that selfishness has to be defeated. New priorities formed. Tyler said, I I start by identifying three important shifts. There's probably more, but these are the three I start with. Let me just tell you what he said. It, 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 It moved me. He said, first, you've got to have a spiritual shift got to shift, you've got to move from me first to God first. You've got to prioritize the mission of Jesus over the American dream. As I told you last week, it is imperative that you invest your time in the kingdom of God. You come to church. I know that that there are moments in in which there are are logical and, and, and even some okay reasons. If you're sick, I don't want you to come to church and Sometimes your job might take you away, but listen to me. If your job is taking you away from every service, then you are learning something that is going to hurt you later. you got to back up. I'm going to tell you right now, I believe more than anything that if the desire of your heart is to spend time with God, God will rearrange every schedule in your life and He'll let the job that you think is so important go so that you could come and spend time with Him. But you've got to also say, Lord, it's not my will, but thine be done. It's not me. I, I, I know it's everybody's dream to get rich and have a big car and have a, a, a nice house and, and all of that. But sometimes investing in the kingdom means that you put some of those dreams aside because there is a calling that God has called you. And he said, if you'll give to me your life first, I'll make the rest of it okay. 
a spiritual shift from me first to God first. This second one is the one that I see all too often in, in, the, in, the, in the negative, but Tyler Whaley said there has to be a mental shift. A shift from serve us to service. So many times we come to the house of, the God, of God and, and we want to be babied and we want to be fed and we want the music to be this and we want the preacher to say this and you're like a little baby right now, Zeke. He, we have to hold him, we have to baby him, we have to change his diaper. But if Zeke is 16 years old and I'm still shoveling baby food down his throat, something's wrong, he didn't develop, something's happening. Can I tell you when God filled you with the gift of the Holy Ghost, there was a time that you were babied. There was a time pastor called you every time you missed church. There was a time that he had to make sure you weren't going to backslide on Monday. But if you've been in church for a while, would you let there be a shift? No longer is it serve me, but what can I serve others? The third thing that Tyler wrote said there has to be a relational shift from me to we. We begin to prioritize the health of the whole body. Listen to me very carefully. In the church of the living God, if one has a problem, it's all our problem. If you don't believe that tonight, get up in the middle of the night and smash your, your big toe on the end of that corner table and find out if it doesn't change your entire physiology in a moment. Sometimes it's not about what I need at the moment. It's about it's our church how can I help the mission how can I reach what can I do I see so and so's hurting and that hurts me I see so and so needs a hand what can I do I'm asking you right now are you profitable in the kingdom of God what are you doing now say pastor what can I do I'm so glad you asked Do you know that one of the most important jobs at this church doesn't carry a title? It's more important sometimes than the preaching of the Word of God. Because if this doesn't happen, they may never stay for the preaching of the Word of God. It's when someone walks into this church and before service starts, somebody looks around and says, Hey, I'm going to go talk with them. How you doing, Steve? How's things going? Say, Pastor, why are you crying? It's because I've walked to Steve when nobody's around. I've said, Steve, how are you going? And he's poured out a situation that he desperately needs God to touch. And I realize, Lord, what can I do? Saturday, we've got a, son, a children's church meeting. A little bit later, we, we had to reschedule the Sunday school part. But in just a little bit, we're going to have a Sunday school time where we plan. And I'll tell you right now, Sister Rashana Harding and the, and the current crop of Sunday school teachers, y'all do a phenomenal job. It's astounding. I love, Brother, Brother Perryman, thank you for, for, for acknowledging that I could trust you. And I appreciate the fact I could trust you. I like it when I don't have to worry about our Sunday school classes. 
I walk up here every once in a while, about, about usually twice a month, I try to walk down there and say hi to all the teachers. And I know it's crazy, but I'm going to tell you right now, as much as our teachers are doing a phenomenal job, they need more help. It's because they realize the investment that it takes. It's Bible studies. There's Bible studies going on right now that you don't even know about, but I know many of you who are teaching them, and I tell you, thank you for investing in people, but I need more people that are willing to teach a home Bible study, outreach, hosting, musicians and praise singers and ushers. What are you doing? That, That man... He gained a talent. It was something that he didn't have outside of what the master had given him. And today, I would tell you, and as I look here, that every one of us, God has filled you with the Spirit. And because of that, God has given you an investment. He has poured into you a power that can only come from above. I had my sermon all written, and before we we walked in, I just kind of saw, I'm not saying I saw a vision, I'm not trying to be all spooky, but I just kind of saw a a word picture kind of play out in my imagination, if you will. And I saw that man take that talent that God had given him, or the master had given him, and I, the Bible says he went and he buried it. Later on, the master came back and he unburied it and he brought it in. He said, I didn't lose it. I didn't go sin. I didn't mess up. Here I am. And I'm sure he was not expecting that, re- that response of, of the master. But it's because he had waited too long. Why don't you close your eyes, each and every one of you.